You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Come to church this morning. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning we're going to conclude our series, Hungry for Wisdom. And uh, I want to invite you back next week. Pastor Drew is going to be kicking off uh, the theme for this coming year, which is going to be the kingdom of God. And he's going to be kicking off a series um, entitled The Kingdom is Near. So you're not going to want to miss next week. Um, make sure you're here and bring everybody that you know. All right? It's a deal. You promised. But hopefully over the last number of weeks, you've, uh, there's been a hunger that's stirred up in your heart for wisdom, for God's wisdom, and he is so generous with wisdom. In the book of James, it says, those who desire wisdom must ask God, and he will give it to us liberally, liberally. And so we've been going through the book of Proverbs this summer, and um, one of the things that Pastor Drew has um, so rightly put is, uh, many times we view this book as a a book of just like good advice or a book that says, here are the, the fools over here, they only do foolish things, and here are the wise over here, and they only do wise things. And then we try to maybe categorize ourselves somewhere in there, like, I, um, I guess I'm a fool, I'm a fool, or I'm, I'm wise. But it more accurately describes the way of the fool and the way of the wise, and how this book is really an invitation for us to be partakers in God's wisdom and the way of wisdom. It was in his wisdom that he created the heavens and the earth. It was his, in his wisdom that he created you. You were not an accident. You are on purpose. That fact alone should do something in your heart that you are here on purpose. It was in his wisdom that God put you on this planet. It was in his wisdom that he sent Jesus to die a terrible and brutal death for you and I. It was his wisdom. And so God is inviting us into this lifestyle to be partakers in the way of wisdom. And we have this amazing opportunity to learn from the previous generations. So you might be asking yourself, yeah, I want, I want wisdom, but where do I start? Well, the good thing is, is that this book tells us exactly where to start. It says in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it, co- though it cost you all you have, get understanding. The first step in, in this journey on a way of wisdom is, is saying, God, I want wisdom. God, I want to know this way. It's being intentional with your life and, see- and seeking it out and not just having it happen upon you. But saying, I want to be a person that says, God, get wisdom. I love this book because sometimes it just lays it. It doesn't make it complicated for someone not very smart like me. It just says, hey, get wisdom. Get understanding. Though it can cost you everything that you have, get understanding. So hopefully this series has, has stirred up a hunger in your heart to say, man, Lord, I want this thing that you've made available to me, this way of wisdom. I want to be walking the way of, of wisdom because... I don't know about you, but I haven't always walked in the way of the wise. I've, I've, I've walked in the way of the fool. I've made wrong choices. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. And I say, Lord, today I want to I wanna walk. I want to do better today. But the time that you've given me today, I want to walk in the way of wisdom. So this morning, if you have your Bible, you can turn it to Proverbs chapter 3. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a life of legacy, a legacy of wisdom. So Proverbs chapter 3 is a, is a pretty um, common uh, chapter in the Bible, and it's because it's 
just so jam-packed um, with good stuff. But the first nine books of Proverbs is really um, a, a father's writing to his son and saying, this is the way to wisdom. Do these things, and you will have a life that is full. So we get this amazing look into this, this, the writings of Solomon, who is considered the wisest man who has ever lived and who will ever live, and his writing to his, his boy. You know, a few years ago, I was, um, I got a phone call that, and it was at Easter, and on the same day, there were two men that I knew in their latter years that, that passed away. On the, the very same day, and as I began to think about it, I looked at their lives, and their lives represented very different things. One man at his funeral, we were celebrating his life because of this life of integrity and character, a life of sacrificial love and serving others, of, 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 of really living this way of the wise. And then another man, also in his latter years that died, had had a life, a life of brokenness, addiction, anger, bitterness. And I looked at these two men's lives in stark contrast to one another and asked myself, what is the legacy of my life? What am I leaving? And that's the question I want to pose to you this morning. What will be the legacy of your life? None of us know how much time we have on this earth. You might have a lot left. You might have a little. The Bible says that we are but a vapor. We are here one day and gone the next. So we can think that our little life doesn't matter much. However, we can look back on all history and see the great men and women who have made the most of their short time on this earth. It could be hundreds of years later, decades later, thousands of years later, and we're still talking about them because they made the most, and it's how you live your life matters. I want you to know that today. The things that you do, the things that you say, the character that you show in your life matters, and it affects other people. Whether we like it or not, how we live our lives affects other people. And we're all going to leave a legacy of some sort, whether good or bad or somewhere in the middle. And maybe you don't think about that very much. But I want to counsel you this morning to be intentional with your precious life. You have one life to live. I did campus ministry at the universities for several years, and it's such a important time in a young person's life, and I would challenge them often, and I would challenge you to here today that don't settle in your life. Don't waste your life. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for just being average. God has so much more. He has an extraordinary life laid out before you if you choose his way. And this morning, you might think, my time has passed. I'm, I'm too late. I've made too many mistakes, or maybe I've let too many years go by, and I want you to know this morning, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. God can use you. You've heard me say this before. You'll hear me say it a hundred times that if you can fog a mirror, if you have breath in your lungs, if, you, if your heart is beating, that God wants to use you. God wants to do something with your life. He want, I want my life to count for something. There's a verse that's governed my life, and it's this. It's the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, looking to strengthen a heart that's wholly his. That's all he wants is your heart. And with that, with your life, he can do anything. And we all leave a legacy. So we need to put away our excuses, put away our pride, put away our fear, our selfishness, 
and say, Lord, I'm going to live for you today. I'm going to give it all I got. There's a quote that has challenged me in my life. It's by the Methodist preacher, W.A. Sangster. He says, how should I feel at judgment if multitudes of missed opportunities pass before me in full review and all my excuses prove to be disguises of my cowardice and pride? Nate Saint said, people who do not know Jesus ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. But they forget that they too are expending their lives, and when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. These words become all the more powerful when we realize that this man was, who wrote this was martyred for his faith, dying along with Jim Elliott and three others when they risked their lives bringing the gospel to the native tribes in Ecuador. This is not a message of condemnation. It's not to heap a burden around your neck or on your back. But really, in the same way that this book of Proverbs, it's an invitation into something more. I hope this morning this message can be an invitation to something more. That God has created you for something specific and unique. It might not look like what you think, but it's not too late. God wants to use you. So ask yourself this question. If you died tomorrow, what would be said of you? If there was a movie of your life, what would it depict? What are you living for? Is it worth it? Is it worth Christ dying for? What are you living for? So in Proverbs chapter 3, again, we see this invitation from a father to his son that says, inviting us into this way of life. Not just nice advice, not just positive thinking, but a way of life. So in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching. But keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So one thing we can get wrong about this book is that we think it's a prescription or it's a formula. Do this and you'll get this. We have other books of wisdom as in Ecclesiastes and Job to really flesh out all the but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? Instead, he's, he's talking to us. When he says command, he's talking about like a code of wisdom, a code of conduct, a way of life, family values. And when he talks about a prolonging your life and bring peace and prosperity, he's not talking about that you're going to be rich, you're going to be famous, you're going to live forever. We know that that's just, we know life and we know that that's just not the way of things. But instead, he's talking about a full and rich life. I want to invite you, he says, I want to invite you into this life. Keep these, these family values, this code of conduct, and you will have a full and rich life. David put it best in Psalm 61. He says, you treat me like a king, giving me a full and abundant life. Years and years of reigning, like many generations rolled into one. God wants to give you a life that's so full, it's like many lives just rolled into one. You can ask some people, there's many people in my life I've asked, they're like, I don't know, I'm just so blessed, I'm so, my life is so fulfilling, and, and I'm so satisfied by all God has poured out in my life. That is what God wants for us. He says, follow this, these family values. Do you have 
your, what are the values that govern your life, that shape you, that cause you to make the decisions you do not, do not make? In our family, we, we have family values. One of the things we, we say often is say, we know that other families might do this, but we're Myers and, and we, don't, we don't do that. Other people might be rude to one another. They might talk, um, they might raise their voice when they're angry, but we're not gonna do that. We're gonna talk respectfully. We're gonna talk lovingly to each other, gently. We can be upset, we can be frustrated. Those things are okay, but we're, how we talk to one another is important. What are the values that govern your life? And he's inviting them into this. So I'm going to lay out for us a few markers of a godly legacy this morning. In verse 3, Solomon says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Man, I love, I love this um, this imagery, this metaphor that he uses. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. It's like have them be woven into the very fabric of your being so you can have true character, not just fake character where you're one, you're one thing with one people and you're, uh, you're, you're something else with other people. True character, that love and faithfulness, and other versions say goodness and mercy, and these are attributes of God that he actually, as we walk with him, he imputes onto your life the goodness and faithfulness of God, the love of God becomes to be written on your heart, and those things begin to flow out of you as natural attributes of walking with God. So the question I ask myself, am I the same person all the time? Am I a social chameleon? Is my character the same all the time if I'm by myself? Do I make the same decisions if, if I know someone's watching me? One of the pastors in my life, um, he'll be coming here this fall, Pastor Rich. Uh, he's just one of my heroes, amazing guy. One time he was shopping at Lowe's, and he left Lowe's, and he had bought some stuff. And he realized, this is just a pure-hearted of guy he is, he realized that they didn't charge him for something. And so he went back, and he told the person, you didn't charge me for this. And the person sat there looking at him like he was a crazy person. They're like, sir, it's $4. Just go. Just get out of here. He's like, no, I have to pay for it. I have to pay for it. He's like, no, just leave. You might think that's extreme, but I want my heart to be pure before the Lord. I want integrity and character. What, 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 who are you when no one else is looking? Those people closest to you usually have the most accurate picture of who you are. It's easy to put our best foot forward, our best face forward around people we don't see very often or once a week. But your true character shines with the people who know us best. Lately, I've been asking um, different kids in my life this question about their parents. I'll ask my nieces and nephews or my own kids, tell me about your, your dad. Tell me about your mom. What are they like? And I was asking Pastor Drew, my brother, his kids, Asked his eight-year-old, what's your dad like? Tell me about your dad. She goes, oh, he is a good man. He is a good man. He has a lot of meetings, but he is a good man. <laughs> I said, what, well, tell me about your mom. What's she like? Oh, she is like a snow cone. She is my favorite. I asked their youngest, tell me about your, your mom. She said, well, she really loves her boyfriend, my dad. <laughs> I said, son, tell me about, your, tell me about your, your parents. He said, well, my dad, he said, uh, 
He said, my dad is someone, if he says he's going to do something, he doesn't just do it. He does it all the way, the best that he possibly can. I thought, wow, a 10-year-old can pick up on that. I said, tell me about your mom. And he, he says, well, she can find the best deals in town. <laughs> he said, one time we bought this smoker for $5 off the side of the road, and we use that thing all the time. <laughs> Kids, tell it like it is. I want integrity and character to be a marker in my life. In verse 5, he says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil, and this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Humility and submission are markers of a godly legacy. You know it's okay to say, I don't know. We don't have to pretend that we know everything. Nobody thinks that we do. And in this day and age, it's okay to say, I don't know, have enough information to have an opinion about that. To not be wise in our own understanding, but instead trust God with our, all of our heart and lean not on our, on our own understanding. Dependence on God and trusting that he has the ability to speak to you and that he's given you the ability to hear from him. That's important. Sometimes we look to certain people in our life to hear the voice of God and God has given, has the ability to speak to you, to get to you. And he has given you the ability, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you the ability to hear from him as well. So we need to lean on it. Verse 6, when he says, submit your ways to him, that means to stay close. Stay close. Don't let anything become a wedge between you and him. Stay close. And lean not means to defer to him, to look to him. God, what do I do? Where do I go? I want to understand the way that you do. I have these times with my kids sometimes where you know, once kids get to a certain age, they say, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I want to do it. And so, and I want them to do, I want them to be able to do it on their own. I don't want them to have me do everything for their life. But there's sometimes when they're doing something, and in my mind, I'm like, you don't know what you're doing at all. And you're watching them struggle. And finally, they say, can you help me? And I say, yes, I would love to help you. I'm not going to do it for you, but I'm going to show you the way. And so it is with the Lord. He wants us to grow right? He wants us to walk in greater maturity. He doesn't want to do everything for us, hand everything to us, but he wants us to not lean on our own understanding of things, but look to him. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about pride and arrogance and the trap of, of inflated self-importance, but this marker of humility and submission to God will be something that leads you to places that you never thought you'd go, and it might look different than, than, than what you thought. You might have ideas about your life and what you think you should do and where you should go, and God might have another. You know, one of the mentors in my life is a man named Ron Weiss, and he's about 90 years old now, and he's just been such a pillar, such a simple faith and love for Jesus. But as a young man, he gave his heart to the Lord and was passionate. In those days were the days of Billy Graham and other preachers like that. He said, I want to be a preacher. I want to be a preacher like Billy Graham. And God was saying, I haven't called you to that. I've called you to something else. He said, yeah, Lord, but... I'll show you. Like, I, I think I can do it. It's going to be really awesome. And I'll, I, want, I want, really want to be a preacher. And so one night he had a dream. He went to bed that night, and during the night this dream was laid out before him, and he was there 
in this huge auditorium, and it was packed to the gills with people. And they said, I want to invite Ron Weiss up here to speak. And as he began to speak, people started leaving. And by the end of the time that he was done preaching, everyone had left, and it was an empty auditorium. And he woke up, and he said, all right, God, I get it. I get it. You've called me to something else. And he said yes to that. And so he has served faithfully, giving his life to the church and serving the church. And, you know, once they retired, he was, they had this lake place, and it was just beautiful. So he's like, man, Tony, I would just spend the mornings out with the Lord. And one day the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to sell this place. I want you to move to Fargo, North Dakota, and I want you to, to minister to the inmates at the prison there. And so there in his, in his 70s, they sold everything they, they had and they moved to Fargo, North Dakota. And there they have still served. They still go in there every week, multiple times, ministering to the inmates. He works as a janitor in the mornings, early in the mornings, so that they can have extra money to help these men and women when they get out of prison, have clothes and Bibles and all these things. This is the legacy of humility and submission to God that says, God, I don't care what it looks like. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I don't have to have my name in the lights. I don't have to be the one with the spotlight on me. But God, I want to, I want to serve you. And there are people that benefit from a life laid down. Verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Another marker is growth and maturity. Verse 9 says, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That word wealth is not, is not talking just about, just about your finances. You know, wealth is not a virtue any more than poverty is a virtue. But he says, honor the Lord. That word actually means, it's translated substance. With everything that you are, with everything that you've been given, honor the Lord with it. Honor God with it. If you do that, you will have growth in your life. And again, it's not necessarily monetary uh, monetary growth or financial gain. It is growth of a full and mature life in the Lord. See, we honor him, just like Colossians 3 says, everything that we do, we do it as unto Jesus. You know, as a young man, I, I, we, I purchased a house that had a large yard, and so we got a riding lawnmower. When I was younger, I thought it was really cool to drive the, the riding lawnmower, and I'd take really good care to do a good job. But then as I grew up and reached my teen years, I was too cool for school and had other things that I wanted to do. And so my dad would say, it's your turn to mow the lawn. And I would say, fine. And I would just put that bad boy as fast as it could go. And I would just blow through that lawn, right? And I technically was mowing the grass, just not all of the grass. And so I remember one time I got done and my dad came out and said, hey, so I saw your version of mowing the lawn. And, uh, Let's go take a look. And so I said, sure. So we looked, and, you know, there's big, big, big uh, strips that were not mowed, or uh, it looked really not good. And so guess what I got to do? I got to mow the lawn again, right? 
But it was an important lesson my father was trying to teach me is that everything that we do, we do it well. We do it with excellence. We do it as unto Jesus. We honor him with everything that, we're, that, that is put before us. And it's a good witness. And people are going to see it in our life. And we don't despise discipline. That word uh, despise, uh, do not despise means don't take lightly. Those moments in your life when God is showing you something, teaching you something, do not despise it. Don't take it lightly. I've known people that have been learning the same lesson for years and decades of their life. Because they don't take the lessons that God is trying to teach them seriously. God desires a life of growth and maturity in your life. As you walk in greater dependence on him, you also walk in greater maturity. And you never cease from bearing fruit in any season. Another man in my life I've looked up to is uh, Tanya, Pastor G's wife, her dad. Um, he's just been such a such an amazing example of what a man of God looks like. And he, for 30 or more years, served as a youth pastor, serving, serving youth. And uh, I've seen thousands of students come to know the Lord, um, go into ministry. But the thing that has marked my life, or that has really marked his life, ever since seeing him as a young man, is, or when I was a young man, seeing him as he's, uh, someone that's always learning, Something someone's always learning. He has such a humility in his life. He can learn from anyone. Nothing. No one is too low. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, he, he crosses denominational barriers. All these things. He can learn from somebody. He's always reading a new book. Um, it's funny because he he would go through the drive-through at Starbucks every single day, and they would ask him for book recommendations. And so he had all of them at Starbucks. They're reading these different books that he had given them, and he had such a good relationship with them. They were begging him to work there. Can you come work here just for like a day? Just like one day, can you come work there? Well, now he actually does work there because of the influence that he had, the testimony of his life, to serve, to walk in humility. One of the greatest things, I, I remember this so vividly when I was young 20s, and we had gone to what's called the Fine Arts Festival. It's just something that happens every spring uh, where the youth, they kind of, they get their various talents together, and then they come and present those. Well, this one young man, he's maybe eighth grader, was presenting this, this his very first sermon. His very first sermon. And you know, we're all like, oh, that's so nice that he's doing that. That's so good. And I look over, and I see Cal, and he's, he's taking notes. He's taking notes of this eighth grader's sermon, you know, and I thought to myself, is he, he's not just patronizing this little, this little guy, you know? Like he's literally learning something. He could take something, glean something from this. And so it would be said about our lives that we're growing, that we're seeking to grow and walk in maturity more and more every single day. Amen? Worship team, you guys can come. So he goes on to describe the fruit of this life. And I believe it's a life of freedom. If you choose the way of wisdom, it doesn't mean that your life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make, make mistakes. But you're not going to be ensnared by the things that you maybe would have otherwise. You're not going to be, fall victim to the, the enemy's plans for your life. You're going to live a full life walking in freedom. So in verse 13, he says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. So here wisdom is personified as a woman. Lady wisdom, she's described. 
She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are are pleasant ways, and her all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold hold her fast will be blessed. It's by the wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding, he set the heavens in its place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided. The clouds let the let drop from the dew. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve them with sound judgment and discretion, and they will be life to you. An ornament of grace, your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the evil or the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Doesn't that describe a rich and full life with God? It doesn't mean that tragedy is not going to knock at your door, that crisis isn't going to come. But we'll stay close to the Lord and he'll lead us and guide us. We won't be ensnared by the enemy's traps and attacks. And I don't know what you're thinking this morning. You're like, the same thought that I've had. I'm just, who am I? I'm just one person among so many. I'm just an ordinary person. But we have a whole book full of ordinary people who just laid down their lives for Jesus and said, God, could you use me? Could, Could you do something with my life? And I love reading about the disciples because we get such a clear picture of the before and after. These were ordinary people, fishermen, tax collectors, physicians, just ordinary people that gave it all and followed Jesus. And we watch the sometimes ridiculous ways in which they talk with the Lord. And then we see the power of the Holy Spirit come upon them and we just see such change in their life. And here we have these ordinary people living extraordinary lives. And that is the life that God has invited you and I into. This is, I can take your life. You can wash away all that junk and we can do something amazing. I read this about once a year. I'm going to read it to you. This is the, how each of the disciples' lives ended, actually. Because they gave it all for Jesus. And I, I think... One of the things that I want to be said about me when I leave this earth is, man, I gave it all for Jesus. He gave it all for Jesus. He gave it all for Jesus. And when I look at the, these men and women, say they gave it all for Jesus. And I might not be called to the same thing that they're called to, but I, I am called to give it all for Jesus. So the disciple Thomas, he, after Jesus ascended to heaven, he preached in Parthia, and brought the gospel to India. And there he was killed by a spear put in an oven by pagan priests. Bartholomew preached in several countries, translated the book of Matthew to India's language, and was beaten at length and crucified. Jude, brother of James, was crucified in Odessa. Luke wrote one of the gospels, evangelized many countries, and was hanged by an olive tree in Greece. Simon the Zealot preached in Mauritania, Africa, and Britain, where he was later crucified. 
John the Beloved planted many churches and wrote many books of the Bible. He was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and miraculously escaped without injury. He later died, he was later exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He was the only disciple not to die a martyr's death. Stephen was stoned after preaching to the ones who put Jesus to death. James, John's brother, was beheaded, but not before his executioner turned his heart to Jesus, and they were executed side by side. Philip preached in Asia, where he was scourged and crucified. Matthew wrote a gospel and preached in Parthia and Ethiopia, where he was slain with a large axe. James the last oversaw the church in Jerusalem and wrote one of the epistles. He was beaten, stoned, and clubbed at the age of 94. Matthias was stoned and beheaded in Jerusalem. Mark wrote a gospel of the Greeks, where he was dragged through the streets until his death. The apostle Paul wrote much of the New Testament and preached anywhere and everywhere, and he was beheaded in Rome. Peter, the seemingly perpetual screw-up Peter, wrote two of the epistles, led the church, preached many places. He was later chained to a pole for six months where he watched his own wife be put to death. Then he was crucified upside down. He deemed himself unworthy to die the same way as Jesus. Listen, we're not many many or most if not all of us in this room are going to die not are, aren't going to die a martyr's death and I, that's not the the marker of greatness on your life but it's a life laid down that says god i'm willing to do anything even if it costs me everything i'm willing to do every anything as even if it costs me everything god i'm laying down my life the legacy of my life my kids would say he's a good man he's a good woman he loved jesus she loves Jesus. She gave it all. She gave it all for him. Would you stand across this place this morning? Again, this is not a message of shame and condemnation, but it's an invitation into something more that God says there's a better way, there's more for your life. And so oftentimes we're settling for the American dream. We're settling for the status quo when God is saying there's something more for you. There's something greater that everywhere you go, at each person you encounter, you can, they can experience the power and presence of God through your life. Amen? Amen. I, this morning, I'm just, I just have one prayer, one call, and that's for those in this room um, to give their life to the Lord. Anytime we have a gathering of this size, there's a good chance that there's somebody here that needs to give their life to the Lord. So we can bow our heads across this place. I'm going to ask in a moment if you need to give your life to the Lord for you to raise your hand. And my intention in you raising your hand is not to embarrass you or call you out or make you do anything weird. I just want to pray for you and I want to know who I'm praying for. So if you're here, maybe you're like I was 16 years ago I was 20 years old and my life was a mess I was an alcoholic, I was an addict I was suicidal and I met Jesus, I met the person of Jesus and he transformed my life and that grace is available to every single human being so if you're here this morning you might not be stuck in the same things I was but you, you say I'm not where I need to be with the Lord I'm far away from God and I need to get my life right with him or maybe you had a relationship with him in the past, but it's grown cold and stagnant, and you need to get your life right with the Lord this morning. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? Nobody's looking around. Amen. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you raise your hand, you need to give your life to Jesus. We're going to pray a prayer, and then I'm, I'm just going to pray over us as a people. So if you need to give your life to the Lord, just say a prayer like this in your own heart. God's not looking for a formula, the perfect set of words. He's looking for your life, for your heart. 
So God, right now, I just give everything I am to you, Jesus. I'm holding nothing back. I just give it all to you, God. This God who gave it all for us, we just now, we give you my whole life, my mind, my will, my emotions, my past and my present and my future, my dreams. God, I just give it all to you now. I lay it down at your feet. I become empty so I can be full of you. And Lord, I just repent from pursuing this world. I stop pursuing the things of this world and now I pursue you and I just receive the gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus. And now may it wash me clean. A new beginning, a new start today, the first day of the rest of my life. And Holy Spirit, just come with power and might and fill that life right now in Jesus' name. The life that was once uh, headed down a road now is taking a sharp turn and going your way. We just come in agreement now in Jesus' name. Lord, we just come before you and we, we just say as a people that we want to be ones that would say, God, I give it all for you. I just gave it all for you. We're not trying to impress anybody. We're not trying to win any accolades or, or awards from this earth, but, but we're compelled by this love that's been poured out for us. We're compelled by this love you gave it all for us and so we give it all for you now let us be a people that are emptying uh emptying ourselves of ourselves no longer walking and, uh, and being self-absorbed or and walking in selfishness but now lord we live for you our king we trust in you and we don't lean on our own understanding we submit all of our ways to you god we submit all of our ways to you we say, King Jesus, you sit on the throne of our hearts. This is not a democracy in your kingdom, but you are king. You are king, Lord. So our love, our devotion is for you and you alone, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just help us to be people who are intentional and purposeful with the time that you've given us on this planet. In Jesus' mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.